Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. you motherfuckers i am so glad to introduce the second episode of man bites pod the reverend terry goddamn here with commander lee ryan and baron von bonyard from brisbane australia we are here to tell you about two of my very very favorite films we got a double feature for you guys tonight by herskel gordon lewis first off blood feast 1963 and something weird in 1967. But before we start off all, all that bullshit, I got to ask you, gentlemen, how are you doing? Are you doing as well as you look? Because you motherfuckers are looking good. Oh, the com- the commander's doing all right, Bubba. I just right. uh, I got this I got this this uh, beer here that's made out of uh, tortilla chips. It's pretty wild. I'll I'll, I'll uh, hit people once we get. Uh, once we get social media set up, you know, you, I can answer all the questions about that at another time. But I'm doing good. How are you doing, Doctor Baron? The Baron is very good there, Commander, down here in Brisbane. Very, very uh, keen to talk about these very intriguing films. It's a world there, Reverend, that I didn't know existed. The Mr. Herschel <laughs> Gordon Lewis, yeah? Yeah, mind yeah. blown. Yeah, t- uh, uh, the Baron is actually from a different sect of... of of film background that Terry and I are. So we're, we're worlds are colliding a little bit and this is the fucking mm-hmm. fun part of this show. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully Indeed. I can lay this out for you and you can enjoy the, the true Americana that this is because this is the American godfather of gore. Herschel Gordon Lewis, literally one of my absolute favorite directors of all time. Let's just start off with this first film, Blood Feast, 1963. Every single director that I look up to has talked about this film. Literally, you listen to interviews with Eli Roth. You listen to him with John Waters. You listen to him with any director, Tarantino. Tarantino, yeah. They're going to tell you that you need to be watching Herschel Gordon Lewis, and specifically Blood Feast. And there's a reason, because this movie fucking kicks ass, man. Opening scene. You got to murder First fucking 30 seconds. That's what I need in a movie. I got no chance to spam whatsoever. You need to kill someone or I need some tits. Someone dies within the first 30 seconds. Oh, what's that? A titty. I get to see that shit as well, man. I have to say this. I don't like to objectify women. Not out to do that. That lady had some very nice titties. Hey, no. I mean. They were nice. They were nice. They were nice. They were nice. If someone wants to give me a compliment, I'll take it. But no one's going to give me that compliment. So we're giving this compliment to the beautiful woman that portrayed that character at the beginning of this film. For a movie that had a $25,000 budget, I mean, which 
even by 1963 standards, is fucking nothing. It's nothing to make a movie. They they made this movie in nine days in Miami with 25 grand. And considering that budget, he got some really good looking women to be honest with this movie. <laughs> he really does. And so it opens up with the first kill. You get the credit sequence, that blood dripping to make the B, the L, the O, O, D, blood feast, motherfucker, in your face. Just with the opening uh, credit sequence there, I found it very much like a dance as well with the music. It was very, you know, groovy, you know, and jived. And the way it's way it paused, yeah, at a yeah. certain point of the music as well, like they're, they're in a dance, you know, pose, and then back to it, yeah? I mean, really It has it. that 1963 jazz breakdown in those early organs because it has the organs of a horror movie. But it has these stops and these pauses and this breakdown during that credit sequence that I would compare it almost to the fucking Spider-Man theme song that was at the same time during the 60s. You know, the, that, the music, you know, the music of Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, especially this one, specifically this one is very important to note because he composed all of it specifically for the movie. Um and he has some weird instruments in there. Like, I mean, you can hear the cello. You can hear stuff and pick out certain instruments. But there's a goddamn kettle drum at certain points. Like, he's got weird instruments involved. And he did it on purpose. And he was very much against having a composer or a music consultant because he knew exactly what he wanted. I've heard yes. the man say it himself. So yes. the music is a big point. And I'm with you that... That is a certain thing that I really miss in movies is that, like you said, the dance aspect of it, the the jazzy, psychedelic horror aspect that doesn't fucking exist in music in movies anymore. And, you know, it really sets the mood for that you're going to see that dancing, that that dancing feeling that you get from that is that you're going to see something new. You're excited because you're going to see something new because this is new. This is the first gore film. And it really is. There's not really anything that you can throw up there and say that that was a gore film, maybe a threat slasher film. Maybe there were first serial killer films or definitely first horror movie films, but this is just exploiting the gore of this film. And it, starts to exploit it within that first fucking minute and you feel it come in with the music and then they start to try to act. And it's a very specific style of American acting that can only be portrayed by Floridans back in the 1960s. Yeah. (laughs) They introduce our, our main hero, Pete Thornton. He, he's investigating these killings, this first killing that we've seen on screen. We got Pete and we got his fucking buddy Frank, okay? And they're just trying to figure out who this homicidal maniac is. I got another one on the loose, you know? It's, it's awesome. And I love how that in the 1960s, for some reason, he tells, he tells Frank, make sure that they're playing those warnings on the radio every half hour that there is a serial maniac on the loose you know so 1963 america if you lived in this town every half hour like sorry we got to interrupt fucking elvis again to tell you (laughs) that there's a homicidal maniac in case you missed it during the last three elvis songs 
you guys are the true crime, true crime experts as well. No one likes us, of course. Now, sure. in terms of true crime, every half an hour you have the PA uh, serial killer on the loose. Sixty-three. What are we looking at? Who was around? Who's who was doing their their thing then? This is sixty-three. Yeah. So Albert DeSalvo. DeSalvo would okay. have been the big one for sure. Okay. Yeah, that would be the big one from this from the early to mid sixties. Um, another one about DeSalvo. There are a lot of people in the Boston area that still to this day say they don't think it was him. Yeah, DeSalvo would have been the main one. Fear levels were really high during the nineteen during nineteen sixty three, but we didn't know shit yet because the seventies was just around the corner, and that's when all that lung from our lead bear burning gasoline cars hit our brains and killed made all the serial killers that, the that 70s. was the 70s so this is a pretty innocent time in america yeah the late 70s was when it was when america got really dark and it honestly hasn't recovered from it yet so can we for all intent and purposes say that this is effectively 50s culture florida yeah, yeah. i would agree with that yeah. Yes. Okay. Very good. Okay. Because remember, we're talking about the early '60s, so this yeah. is definitely that. This is you know coming off the tail of the of the '50s culture. This is still before the majority of the uh, human rights and segregation issues that were even dealt with in this country. Like well, honestly, hey, your man Pete that you're that you're going on and on about how he's the he's the protagonist in this. He's a little rapey with that girl in that car. Uh, Yes, woman's liberation has obviously not occurred. Yes, it has definitely not occurred. And we'll get into why. So so we get our fucking first characters of Pete and Frank. They're the cops on this case. They're going to take down this homicidal maniac. Cut to Dorothy Fremont. She's a rich, upper-class white woman, and she wants to have a special birthday party for her daughter, Suzette, played by Connie Mason. Playboy Bunny. She goes to the Egyptian Deli, which is the only product placement that we're going to get in this entire thing because these are very B movies and the only products, this is actually filmed in a deli. That deli is actually a Syrian grocery store and they filmed was... everything in there in one day because that it was on a Sunday. The, the place is closed on Sunday. So they're like, where we rented it out for like the day. And they did everything in that store in one afternoon. So Dorothy Fremont wants to have a party for Suzette. She goes to this Egyptian deli. She meets Fuad Ramses. And he mm -hmm. says, I can make you a party. I can prepare you a feast that has not been had in over 5,000 years. She's like, oh, that would be great. And then she walks out and fucking Fuad goes into the back into his altar of Ishtar. And that's where he's cutting up all kinds of different ladies. And he's been using the potty, body parts of everyone. And it is revealed that Fuad Ramses is actually the killer. Cut scene. Let's move on from this story because that's what Herschel Gordon Lewis films do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the worst thing about... I have, I, there's a bunch of stuff I know about this flick, but just a personal opinion... Maybe the worst dismount in a horror movie ever where your man is explaining at the end after they've caught him where he's running with a limp. These guys motherfuckers running with a limp and still somehow outrunning the cops. 
And then they finally catch him and they're going, yep. Oh, well, they didn't catch him. He gets crushed in the trash truck. But he goes, he's like, yeah, so I heard this name and then I heard that name. And then yeah. I put them together and went, this didn't make any sense. And well, I guess the world will never know. And we got the guy. Like, yo, man, that's how you ended it? <laughs> yeah. Um, we got to explain yeah. to people that Pete and Suzette are in the same Egyptian college class. They're taking this college course together. You know, he's like, he's obviously like 45 and she's 22. And he's like, hey, you want to go out with me? Let's take this fucking Egyptian class. Let's study this book together. Ancient weird religious rites. That book was discovered at the scene of every single crime. Pete is a smart-ass motherfucker. He puts this shit together. Oh, my God. Suzette had just called me and told me that her mother, Dorothy, was going to give her a party in the shape of an Egyptian feast, one that had not been served for over 5,000 years. He rushes over there, but he's almost too late because Fuad Ramses, he's already got Connie Mason, a.k.a. Suzette, He's like, I need you to be the goddess of your own party and come and bless this with me. Okay. So she goes with him. I have created this altar for you to bless this meal. It's actually just a countertop. And he's like about to hack her head off with a fucking machete. But then North Dorothea fucking comes in. She's like, ah! She fucking defeats him with his, her fucking, the power of her vocal cords. Fuad runs out. Pete runs out after him. They're chasing him. They're chasing him. Fuad's like, man, I can't get away that fast with this limp. I guess I'll jump into the back of this garbage truck. <laughs> so he does that. And of course, they got to compact the garbage and he dies. So, so Pete, the opportunity to give us the line. Did that? Looks did like he died like the garbage that he was. Yes. That was the line. Good job. Oh, man. No, did that scene to, to... Gene, I'm actually looking in your direction because Terry doesn't mm -hmm. like this type of thing so much. But I don't mean to speak for you, Terry. I apologize. But, um, I, uh, Reverend, but the, the scene where he's trying to chop that broad's head off and she keeps, like, opening her eyes and going, this is silly, and, like, getting up, and then he coaxes her into laying back down. Does that not read like a Monty fucking Python sketch that just didn't work? Like, it's so bad. Over and over. Like, no, no, no. You have to have your eyes closed. And then lay down. And you got, I'm like, dude, all I'm thinking is this is like the ministry of silly walks. But like, it it, it, it never got to the stage where it was actually funny. And they, it got left on the writing room floor. Uh, okay. Now, I've thought about this, being an actor, watching these films. At first going, what is happening? Then I remember context, placement, time that it's made in, et cetera. I watch, I've watched in interviews with HDL, uh, sorry, HDL himself, Herschel Gordon Lewis. When it comes to the acting, uh, it was, um, his interviewer said that the acting has been described as primitive. HDL looks down, smirks to himself, looks up and says, well, isn't that a euphemism? Yeah, <laughs> it's worse than primitive. Yeah, that's yeah. being kind about it. Um, but he does say that's not what it's for. Yeah, um, this is basically about making movies that the big uh, studios won't and never will. Well, at that point of time in 1963. And it's basically about pushing the content out, content out there, breaking the taboos, getting our name out there and making money as well. The yes. motivation behind all of, all of this is financial. And because this movie... Sorry. 
because HBO no, is a direct marketing genius as well. Business-wise, this guy is on next level changes business slash society with what he's done. Yeah. Um, so in terms of there's a there's a later movie where he did try to be arty, where he tried to be dramatic and such, and it didn't work. Uh, I forget the name of it, it'll come back to me. But it's so I forgave the acting and I looked at it for the other reasons. And also when I discovered uh, not to go too big, Grand Gugnal, the theatre style that he was very influenced by the French gore theatre back in the day, like yep. 1800s, yeah. Mm-hmm. He brings this into his movies and even has a cinema later on uh, where that sort of stuff is performed live before his movies or in between movies and such. So I began to understand it's a very ultra melodramatic, old horror style of acting transposed into the 1950s. I forgave it, yeah, I I focused on the other elements and ended up enjoying the movements because of that. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you look at this, if you look at this movie in those terms and you think if this was black and white, had choppy cuts and and had the only soundtrack was was some fast piano or creepy, creepy drum lines mm-hmm. in the back and it was made in 1912, it would make perfect sense. Yes. This movie, yeah. you know what I mean? If you if you do it on that level. It be it's just as iconic as the as the cabinet of Dr. Calieri, but yeah, you know what I mean. But it's yeah, it's <laughs> it's a, a lot of movies around this time, you know, don't fare as well because the technology of makeup effects and the technology of the film didn't weren't on the same level, you know. Um, and if they're doing 37 films in 10 years as well, they're not going to worry about the finer details. You know what I mean? Again, man, money, churning them out. Yeah. He, he does these, um, the majority of his films, if you look them up, you're going to see, you won't see anything that took longer than a month. Um, no. everything's, everything's six days, 12 days, two weeks. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> he wasn't fucking around, man. And he, no. another thing he didn't do, he would not do the, okay, we're going to film the rehearsal. He's like, I refuse to re- to film a rehearsal. You rehearse the shit, and then when you're ready to go and we think it's good to go, we'll do it. Because he's like, the film is half of our budget. Yeah. So. Yes, totally. Herschel was the director, but a lot of this all comes from the producer who was David Freeman. And David Freeman was a veteran of making exploitation films. And some of them were very rough. And this was them creating a product that American audiences wanted and just delivering it for them to make money, which is a very American thing to do. The acting in it, it doesn't matter. It is a a style of acting if you want to give it that, that maybe Herschel did see these grown all, uh, Go Grugenay, French film, uh, French blood theater. He right. saw these French blood theaters that he wanted to do, and he wanted to mimic that. And if you're going to do that out on stage, you're going to over overact. You're going to okay. make your you're going to throw your voice, and you're going to act badly, quote unquote. But that works if the main reason that I went into this French cinema to see this theater of blood and pay my $5 is just to see the blood. Who cares? These are bad actors because they're in a bad movie because it's a bloody movie that I just want to see the blood. And Herschel Warren Lewis was the first to do it with blood. 
David Freeman had been doing it for years with sexploitation and exploitation films and uh, literally exploiting what American audiences wanted to see. And some of those were roughies. Scum of the Earth was done right before this, and that is Herschel Gordon Lewis's first film, and that is very rough to watch. And there is a reason that I picked these two movies as opposed to some of his rougher sexploitation films because they are very misogynistic but unfortunately that's what 1960 1959 to 1960s oh, yeah. audiences wanted and that's the reason that we have all these olga films and all these almost bdsm films and we have betty page as opposed to having marilyn monroe because it's something that american audiences wanted at the time they were exploiting it to make money he had some very cool names for those type of films, sorry, with Friedman there. Uh, Nudie Cuties and Crotch Awkwards. Yeah, those yes. were the David Friedman yeah. movies. And and yeah. those were kind of going out of style. Friedman, they were yeah. What this movie was, was them trying to reinvent this, this genre. Um, another thing that this is on the heels of, you have to remember, this is right on the heels of Psycho. So yes. okay. it's okay. right, right fucking cool. after it. So... Well, um, one of the things that that David, I listened to a conversation between David Friedman and Herschel Gordon Lewis um, uh, some time back, and I went back and revisited it to make sure I had my fucking facts straight. But basically, the way they put it was the thing that was disappointing to them about Psycho and other movies of that nature was that they show the aftermath and they show the terror, but they don't wholeheartedly show the yeah. act of violence. And so they said, we're showing all of it. It's literally gore porn for the time where it's not softcore. We're showing all of it. We're showing the penetration of the knife. We are showing the bloodletting. We're showing the death throes. People are dying with their fucking eyes open and, and getting things ripped off. And they're showing all of it as opposed to psycho, which is one of the most brilliant things ever, but that's, that's scream and then knife. All you see is the knife, and then you see blood going down the drain. It's brilliant, yes. but they're showing the whole shit. Nothing's left to the imagination. Yeah, it's, it's a working man's gore film, literally. It's You don't need to have any artistic appreciation to approve of these films, but that doesn't mean that there isn't any artism that goes into these. I love these films. love absolutely every single one of them. Do you guys want to do a Jabba Royale, though? So if I could touch on one thing, just um, finishing off there with the gore, um, the realism. Um, he wanted realism, HGL, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. in his films. But we talked about the acting that was unrealistic as far as we see it today. So we've got to just to pinpoint HGL's idea of realism in making his films with what uh, the commander there was saying with Psycho and other such films. Yeah, great. Um, you know, you created the gutter of the mind in horror, the gutter of the mind being where the kill scene happens in the audience's mind. Yeah, it's a whole comic book thing. Uh, HGL was more like Eli Roth. F all that. I'm going to show the sex. I'm going to show the gore. Here's the chick's brains being taken out of her skull. That is more realistic. He described it himself as verisimilitude for a certain audience. Verisimilitude being of a certain type of reality of realism yeah 
based within a fictional context. That is exactly what he went for and achieved 100% with Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yeah. 100%. That was with Bloodfest, with Bloodfest's film. So, go. Marvis, marvelously put. I, I was amazing. Um, I do I do know a few things about this movie before, if you want to do, uh, break a couple things down for you before we do Jabba Royale. Um, so, there's the uh this movie first of all is the oldest film to be part of the 70 to famous 72 video nasties of the UK that were banned. It's the oldest one involved no. and it was strictly because of the violence because Herschel was brilliant. He made sure there were no curse words of any kind in these movies. Yes. And he made sure that the nudity was at a minimum if it was there at all. So that that way, the only thing they could go off was this graphic violence. Um, it was uh, it wasn't until much. This was 1959 when that list was enacted, but this is the oldest one on the list, and I don't think it was unbanned until the early 2000s. To dovetail Barrett. on that, to dovetail on that, Commander, in 1988, no Herschel Gordon HDL films had been had been shown in Britain. At all oh, until damn. that point, and that's 1988. I don't know how it stands now, but yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, furthermore, I, I was just going to bring up a couple of effect things. Uh, the blood that was used was actually a mixture they helped come up with and is still used today. It's been modified slightly, but it is still used in certain aspects of filming. And one of the main ingredients in it is kaopectate, which I did not know until recently. <laughs> which is uh, what now? That's an antidiuretic. Ah, okay. Over the counter <laughs> antidiuretic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's edible it. and it, it has a chalky substance to it. It's like an emodium he, AD and shit like that, man. He, he flat out said, "He's like, well, we didn't tell them that's what it was made out of, but what we told them was it is edible." <laughs> it's abuse. It's abuse. No, he's a he's he's a degenerate. <laughs> um. The other thing I was going to tell you is that, so I knew, you know, I'm sure you've heard of some of these tactics about marketing. David Friedman was a genius with his marketing. And one of the yes. things he did, um, the exorcist did this too, but I'm pretty sure they bid it from David Friedman. They would have an ambulance and a nurse out front of their theaters where this thing was being shown in case anyone was too upset. Right. Mm -hmm. Then it makes motherfuckers really want to go in. But the other thing he did was he had barf bags printed that yeah. said, you you might need this if you see Blood Feast. I forgot, I read that somewhere years before. And when I saw that, I'm like, wait a minute, you can just buy anything online now. I went online, found it. I was, I was like, I am expecting it, trying to get my mind ready to see triple digits, two, three hundred dollars, eleven bucks. You can get one from yeah. 1963 for eleven dollars. Wow. My guess is. They didn't go, they've had a shit ton printed and didn't go through them. And they're just sitting on a pallet somewhere. And someone came across them, bought them, and went, fuck it, I'm going to sell them for 11 bucks a piece. It'd be kind of mm -hmm. cool to have one, but still. Um, the other thing I was going to tell you was the leg in the pizza oven. This is maybe the best story. Actually, no, I got one other one too. The leg in the pizza oven was mostly plastic was put in this in an actual pizza oven in an actual pizzeria and it caught on fire so they took it out and threw it into the street and it just burned until it melted into the roadway 
And they had to try and scrape it up because it was kind of fucked up the road a little bit. Well, they had a backup. So, of course, they had a backup. You got to have a backup. If one gets fucked up, you're screwed. So they take that. They do the scene. Everything goes well. They walk up for the night and go home. But they fucking left the leg in the oven. And some person, I, I didn't get a name or if even it was male or female, but this person comes into work the next day and opens the oven and there's a goddamn burnt leg covered in fake blood inside and they lost their minds. So wonderful, man. Finally, I have one more factoid. This is my favorite one. What's up? The tongue that gets ripped out of that girl's mouth. Yeah. That was a, that was a sheep's tongue. And they would film this in Miami. Now, they had to get, the only place they could get a sheep's tongue from was Tampa, which is not right next to Miami. It's a couple hours away. So they get this fucking sheep's tongue, they have it in a cooler, and then they bring it over to nearby the set until they need to use it, and they put it in a fridge. Well, remember, Florida. Florida is stupid hot and humid all the time. And this was filmed during the summer. Now, the power went out in the room where it was being held, and they didn't know it. So they seriously were coming back to the the spot and from outside the building smelled it because it had gone bad. But they can't just get another sheep's tongue because it's all the way in Tampa. And they're like, we have to use the sheep's tongue. So the guy, his name's Scott Hall. He plays the, um, he was not supposed to play this part, but he ended up just jumping in and doing it. He plays the police captain or commissioner or whatever. Right. He throws a rag on over his face. Goes into this, I think it was a hotel room in a fridge. They go in, he goes in with a rag on his face and douses this thing in pine salt. And that's that was how they saved it to use it later in the day. Because yes. Herschel Gordon Lewis said his exact words were, you could smell it from two blocks away. <laughs> I would love to make, I would love to be back there making films with these people back there. No? I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I that film's expensive. You cannot effect. waste that shit at all. Yeah, exactly. Pure they innovation. Did, you know. If they would have wasted it, they would have not had a tongue. It's simple as that. Their but they did not have the money. The budget is so low. And then and the tongue scene. Um, I had uh what was her name? Juno, surname Juno. She's the daughter of some one of the poultry people. She was talking about the, the tongue scene as well. And that is, she considers it one of the best kill scenes, let alone gore scenes, uh, to this day. And it is quite extraordinary. When he actually holds it up, it's you see the whole thing. Yeah. Again, the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, and that girl, that girl whose name fails me, I, I did, I, I thought I wrote it down, but that woman that plays that victim is incredible. The way she, she played yeah, dead, she her eye was half crossed and she let the blood flow out of her mouth it was incredible she did do well actually yeah yeah and i also love um i don't know if you guys know mick foley for wrestling he has the mandible claw he gave her yeah. the mandible Soko. claw to start mr Socko. Yeah, which, which for um miss viewers <laughs> listeners i'm holding up mr Socko right the here and he wants it in the mouth and does the mandible claw to pull it out Amazing. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> you have a Mr. Socko, Baron. I love it. Mr. Socko. Uh where we at, people? Where we at? We oh. are about to do our job royale. You guys ready? Hit me. Okay. Cool. Frank, the other cop, 
versus Mrs. Dorothy Fremont. Wait a minute. Which one's Dorothy Fremont? The mom. The, the mom of, of Connie. Yes. This is a Horsecore Warren Lewis film, so I do have to explain to people that there are not many characters yeah. other than yeah. the main characters. Right. Herschel Gordon Lewis does all of like the voiceover stuff, narration, anybody you hear on the radio or the television, he does it because he doesn't want to pay another actor. Yeah. All the cinematography and stuff, you know, that's all him. He was really pioneering in the, the fact that he always had a convertible in every single one of his videos. And the reason is, is because you can secure the location. You have the location shot. Then you introduce the characters because the camera can see through the top of the car and see where they're arriving and interacting with each other all in one shot just from a nearby building. And, and that's lighting and sound. Yeah. Every single Herschel Gore and Lewis film has a badass convertible in it. Um, I, okay. Uh, com- Who are you taking in this fight? The commander. The commander setting set the parties for her daughter. Or you got Frank the cop. <sighs> I don't know what we're gonna do with this homicidal maniac. Yeah, um, you know, I I have to give it to Frank the cop. Um, that woman is if she is not from an environment that tells me she grew up rough, she can handle anything tough. She seems pretty aloof most of the time. Um, she saves it, her daughter though, and basically like solves the entire crime. If it's she's not saved- for Dorothea. Yeah, but she didn't save she didn't save her out of anything, any type of brave act. She just walked in the room and caught this motherfucker with a machete above his head. He didn't she didn't do shit. She didn't swing on him. She didn't pull fucking she didn't pull fucking the blickies out. Nothing. She literally pierced Fuad Ramsey's brain with the scream that she lets out, and he literally just drops the machete and goes running. Dog, that's like that's a legitimate force, man. That's like saying what what's a what's a better weapon if I whistle with my fingers or use a rape whistle? Stop it. That's ridiculous. Not happening. No. Frank the cop, as much as I don't want to side with the police, Frank the cop is gonna is gonna level that bro. Cause he's dealing with he's dealing with cocaine selling Cubans. He's dealing with all kinds of wild, crazy white trash doing moonshine operations. He's a scrappy motherfucker, that dude, and he's been around for a minute. He's not a rookie. That motherfucker's been around. He kind of is a rookie, though, man, because when they see the dead body at fucking Ishtar's place, he fucking has a full-on mental breakdown. Not as much as the guy who fucking girlfriend gets killed on the beach. Because that guy deserves an Academy fucking award. Tony? Was it Tony? Greatest acting of all time. But that's shell shock, man. He's got PTSD, and they didn't know what it was. He didn't get any type of fucking help from the VA. They gave him a GI loan and sent him the fuck home and said, I don't know, maybe be a cop. So, All right, I'm- fuck it then. I'm going to change it and say, who screams louder? The guy on the beach or Dorothea Fremont when she sees fucking Suzette about to get her head shot off with a fucking machine. Who's the biggest bitch? Who's the biggest, <laughs> Who's the biggest bitch? Guy on the beach is a bigger bitch. The guy on the beach. There you go. <laughs> guy on now, the beach. Tony, I believe his name is Tony, because I was going to yeah, push yeah. him against Mrs. Franklin just as a backup. If you remember the old granny who comes in, yeah? yeah. I was going to have those two. <laughs> it, all, so, it, all, it all happened so fast. Happened so fast. She wanted to leave. Yeah, no, okay. Well, then, 
As far as this Jarber Royale is concerned, we have discovered that he is the biggest bitch of the... I feel like he's going to be the the bitch to beat on this show. If we can find a bigger bitch than that guy... We gotta do a a uh, we gotta do a bitch bracket now. Bitch bracket, dude, and he is hands down holding it as of right now. Oh yeah, something weird. That guy is made of pussy, dude. Um, yeah, man, I'm super (laughs) into it. Oh, I was gonna tell you something else about this fucking blood feast. Mm -hmm. Eh, Whatever. (laughs) Thank you, there, Reverend. Really good work. All right. Well, like I said, this is a double feature, though, because that first film is only 70 minutes long. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of violence. Yeah. Oh, Got favorite bit, bit of, of violence? violence? It, mine is the tongue scene. Same. Tongue, sure. tongue has to All be. Day. No compromise. Yeah, got to be the tongue. I thought, I thought about going, I did like this one, and I'm, like, trying to make a reason to not have it be the tongue, and I'm like, I'm, I'm being ridiculous. This is so stupid. Of course it's the tongue. How, yeah, it's the tongue, and then the uh, the point of these shots where fucking Fuad's like coming at the girl, and it's just like his face all intense, and that yeah. is straight up taken from all the roughies and all the scum of the earth like sexploitation films that they had done previous to. That is a very specific type of cinematography where it's that killer, and it's not even a killer usually. It's just the creepy guy that's coming at some woman, right? Uh, you know, it, it's. It's a creepy piece of violence. And Mal Arnold, the mm-hmm. actor that portrays Fuad Ramses, pulls it off too well. A hundred percent. All right, man. You want to move on to your uh, second feature here? Yeah, let's move on to 1967 with something weird, the namesake of the video company, but also a very wonderful and underrated sexploitation Herschel Gorin Lewis film. Okay, Um, most people, when they talk about Blood Feast, they're going to talk about the Blood Trilogy, which is Blood Feast, 2000 Maniacs, and Color Me Blood Red, which came out year after year after year. This is a little bit later, about four years later. This is his first film after the Gore films, but it's even more crazy. So let me try to try my hardest to set up the plot of this film because it's going to be a difficult follow. First off. We got Cronin Mitchell. These guys are working at the fucking construction site. Electrical wire falls down. This guy falls on the ground. Cronin Mitchell's like, hey, I'm the supervisor here, but I'm going to go try to help this guy. Yo, that's my... That's like my favorite thing. Wild The the guy's on the ground and he does this like once. He does the the weird flop. By this electrical wire. But this is not the only inanimate object that is going to attack people in this film. We will come to that later. He is scarred for life, okay? He's he's sitting in the hospital. The fucking nurses and the doctors all making fun of him and shit. They're just like, man, this guy's fucked up for the rest of his life. They don't even care. They're like, (laughs) fucking Mitchell's like, hey, I can hear you. Also, I have ESP and can read your mind as well. So he he starts to try to make that work out for him because he's obviously mutilated. He can't get a real job because there's no way you could ever find a job if you're ugly. And he makes it work for him by becoming a psychic and using his ESP. But mostly rich housewives just want to see what horse their husband would like to bet on. So he's doing this shit. He's got this whole fucking ring going. 
And he's sitting there one day in front of this fake crystal ball when a magical book appears in front of him. The Bible of the witches. He's like, what the fuck? Kind of trips out. What? Double tick. What? Uh, there's a book in front of me. All of a sudden, there's an old hag right there in front of him. And she's like, hey, I can make you pretty again. I can give you your pretty face. Right? And he's like, okay, whatever. But you gotta be my lover. And he's like, nah, man, I ain't into that shit, dude. You ugly. So <laughs> he he kind of wakes up from this weird dream that he's having, but his face is fixed. He's like, fuck, I got ESP and I'm good looking and shit. So he goes to the restaurant. He sees this beautiful woman getting fucking hounded by this man. He's like, oh, I'm gonna take care of this shit. Her name's Ellen. That's all the information he gets. They're about to go back to this place to fucking Netflix and chill, right? Straight up. Fuck. <laughs> he's like taking off his turtleneck, which is weird because he's got to loosen up his collar, but he's also wearing a turtleneck. 1967. He's wearing like multiple layers and shit. Goes, turn around. Holy shit, it's the same hag that just gave him the Bible of the w- Witches. You got to be my lover now. Okay, so this is the deal that moving on in the plot line. He becomes super famous because he's pretty. He's got his pretty face and he's got the ESP. He's on these talk shows. He's on TV and shit. Ellen's like his sidekick. No one knows that she's ugly, but he knows he's got to fuck this ugly old hag every night, but he's got his pretty face. FBI decide that they need their his help in Jefferson, Wisconsin, so they can find a serial killer. He moves up there. This other guy moves up there. This karate fucking government official, Alex Jordan, is also on the case. That guy is the biggest fuck face ever. Karate, dude. That's the It's the Dane Cook of martial arts. It's fucking... So Alex gets up there and he's like, I don't know about this guy with the ESP. Actually, I got something here in my pocket. Let me pull it out. It's LSD. Why don't you try some of this LSD? Mitchell's like, fuck, man, I don't know. I'll, I'll take that. Okay, yeah, I'll try that Officer. out later. <laughs> Flash forward, Mitchell's doing his ESP thing. He's at parties and shit, making chairs levitate. Then he's at a fucking church, and he fucking takes this spirit, and she is transcends to the afterlife because all she needed was human interaction. Does not explain any of the serial killer plot whatsoever. But while Mitchell is busy doing this, this asshole fucking cop alex jordan is trying to pull the moves on ellen Mm -hmm. not only is he trying to pull the moves but he gets like fucking super violent with her like yeah she's like she's like no i am committed that is my lover she because alex doesn't know that ellen is really the witch he just thinks this this beautiful girl but even ellen is like no i am committed that is my lover mitchell because the witch really feels that in her heart too but Alex is like, no, I'm going to get all fucking misogynistic at you in this car and fucking try to hump on you. She gets away. Luckily, she gets away in this film. These are 10 years later. We're not making roughy sexploitation films anymore. She gets away. Plot moves along, kind of blanks out for a minute. And all of a sudden, Mitchell's like, hey, I'm going to take some LSD. Take some LSD, starts fucking tripping. And as he's tripping, Alex decides he's got to go fucking cool off, takes the shower, gets back into his motel room bed where I don't know if it's the witch or if Mitchell using his ESP inhabit and possess the bedding and the bed sheets and they attack Alex. They try to strangle him, but luckily 
Alex knows his karate, and he uses that knowledge to defeat these evil, possessed bedsheets. Those bedsheets, that might have been the dumbest thing that ever happened in cinematic history. <laughs> it's up there. It's up there. <laughs> so bad, dude. Somehow, after Mitchell takes this fucking LSD, he realizes that this Detective Maddox, who is literally only introduced twice in the film previous to this, is the killer. Yep. So they go to get the killer, go get the killer, go get the killer. Fuck, Mitchell, dead. All of a sudden, Alex has got his chance with fucking Ellen. So he's like, hey, babe, I know your, your boy just died and you guys were like, lovers on a fucking occultic fucking level like these guys were which esp fucking lovers with acid involved and everything i know and i know i also tried to rape you already but we should totally get together i'm in a convertible and it is the nicest convertible of any hersko goran lewis film previously made to this they're in this convertible he's all coming on to her oh no it's the hag she was a witch this entire time He's like, no, I'm jumping out of this fucking car. He jumps out of the convertible. He starts to run away from this fucking hag. Alex isn't taking this. He's like, oh, my God, you're not good looking. I'm running away. I'm running away. Boom. Literally runs into a pole that's spewing fire. I don't know what construction site has a pole that is just randomly spewing fire. His face gets all burned. And then she's like, I can give you your pretty face. If you be my lover. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and see. Yeah. What do you guys think? What do you guys think of this? One? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I, I yeah. think I've seen it before. Terry and I have discussed this before. I am. I, I need to hear. I need to hear what the Baron MD has to say about this movie. Okay. Thank you there. <clears throat> Commander, Reverend, uh, yeah, I watched this one first before Blood Feast. So this was an interesting foray into exploitation cinema, which I am no expert on, barely know about. Yeah, I know what it is. Uh, I look forward to discovering what it's about and what purpose it serves, how it came about, et cetera, in the future on Man Bites Pod. So I watched this and I thought, well, it's a 60s film. Oh, that's bad editing. That's bad acting. You know, I couldn't help it to begin with, <laughs> just what I'm used to. Um, but then I kind of, you know, sunk into it, began to accept it for what it was. And I did enjoy it overall. I enjoyed it more on the second time after I read about read a bit about HGL uh, and watched interviews and such, saw where, he was, saw where he was coming from. At first, it was a bit of a shock, though, but I was intrigued by it. Um, first, Ellen was beautiful. That kept me watching, I must admit. The witch, I thought, was quite cool as well. She was like a just an aging, middle-aged smurfette. I didn't, I didn't think she was that bad, actually. Seriously, <laughs> I, I feel yeah. like the witch probably was almost just as attractive as Helen. It's just she had, like, makeup on. One of my favorite things about the witch is that, and my wife came in the room while I was watching it, and I'm like, She's like, what the fuck? I'm like, you're looking at the makeup, aren't you? She's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. See, her face is all bluish gray. And then and then her arms are splotchy bluish gray. And then her legs just have like a couple spots. Like yeah. they just you can just see where they ran out of makeup. I've seen worse, say hey? I'm sure I've actually, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I love the fucking witch makeup. I love the bad wart, all that shit. It's fucking I love her knee tattoo, those lips yep. on her knee. 
I meant to ask you about that, Terry. Do you know what the fuck that is? I don't know what What's that's up about. With that? Oh, I don't know, man. I think it's just an awesome, sexy tattoo that she's going to fucking spread those legs up and give you a kiss. That's so weird, dude. It's like, you know, cholos get fucking get fucking lips tattooed on their neck and shit, but they're like normal people size. Them shits were, they were like a foot and a half wide wrapping around her knee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, I enjoyed it overall, though. I enjoyed it overall. And there were some moments that were, for its time, really quite brilliant. The ghost in the church, yeah? A ghost for 1963 of a budget of that type of film, that type of budget, produced in that type of way. Really great effect. Uh, and there are other moments, like the, the LSD trip, yeah? Um, that was done really well, where we were showing his psychic abilities at the party. It would have him just smoke change the lighting, throw him um, with harsh lights in a white room to show various states of where he's at. Very simple, cheap, clever tricks. I, appreci- um, I appreciate it the whole way through in terms of the production. And on the second viewing, after finding out about HDL a bit more, definitely an intriguing and I would say an enjoyable film at the end. Yeah, that's my bit. I, I love yeah. it. And honestly, we got more HG, we got more HG Lewis that we're gonna have to get into. We're gonna have to get into Wizard of Gore. We're gonna have to get into some other things. We're gonna have to do the blood trilogy at some point. I did want to do this one. I wanted to throw this out there because it's one of the Herschel Gorn Lewis films that isn't talked about as much. And it is the namesake of this video company. Um mm-hmm. something like, weird. Yeah, and for 1967. For him to be talking about the government giving us LSD or the government being involved in the cult, which was going on in the 60s, but we didn't learn about that here in America until late in the 80s. M- MK Ultra. Yeah, when MK Ultra came out specifically, but for him to be talking about it, it's just really weird. It's something weird. Right. Um, Sorry, I'm in 1967. Um, I mean, that's really Cold War stuff as well between the Americans and the Russians, not to be oh, yeah. put out in mass into general entertainment, yeah? Not to yeah. put out into the media. Yeah, I get you, I get you. Absolutely. Yeah, that is heavy. Though. I mean, it's they like, made that, what, the the men who stare at goats just in the early 2000s, and that's yeah. talking about government involvement with occultism and LSD, which was yep. going on, but it took fucking 30 years after this film was made, you know? I. Yeah, I found out about it through the Mary Pranksters, through Ken Kesey's book, The Electric Kool-Aid Essence. That's how I discovered it. Was. Yeah. Yep. Same. Yeah, I, I, I um, on, on No One Likes Us, we just talked about several churches, the Church of the Subgenius, and also mm-hmm. um, we just did an episode. It'll be out. It'll be out next week, but it's uh, the church. Damn it. What was that, Terry? I just did it. Oh, the Church of Stop Buying, which is, it's very much Reverend Billy and the Church of Stop Buying. It's yeah. very much in line with that Ken Kesey, Mary Pranksters. It's hippie shit, but it's and it's just clever pranks, but they're clever enough, widespread enough, and smart enough that it actually changed things, which is yeah. pretty brilliant. You know, slacktivism. <laughs> For, like you know, this was my first pick of our podcast and I wanted to talk about Herschel Gorn Lewis so much. I had seen Blood Feast before, but what really turned me on to his work was uh John Waters wrote a book called uh Shock Treatment or Shock Value, excuse me. And right. literally half the book is about 
rehearsal Gorn Lewis and a, what a wow. huge influence it was on John Waters. And when I read that, I was like, I really need to go back and check out all this stuff. And wow. the people that I admire, admire this motherfucker. And that's why I wanted to go start looking at his stuff. And I was able to go to a convention and meet him. And he was the nicest motherfucker ever. And he signed my shit. And I watched him from across the cafeteria eat a cheeseburger and I am not like starstruck by any motherfucker. I would not give a flying fuck if I met Brad Pitt or Johnny Depp or anyone else. But I was just so in awe of meeting Herschel Gordon Lewis. I was blown away. He was the nicest motherfucker ever. In front of me, there was some guy that had in his like sealed tubes to get the full original pressings of blood feast 2000 maniacs and color me blood red like the theatrical posters sign i was like wow those are really cool and i was like oh yeah and i was like how do you have money to have those or whatever like is, why are you not excited right now you know the conversation just evolved and it's like oh no i'm being paid to be here right now i'm an assistant for someone and i'm getting these signed he paid for me to come to the event convention to get these signed. I was like, oh, well, fucking tell me who it is. He wouldn't tell me, but whatever. It's like yeah, yeah. there are people that look up to him, and there is a very good reason for it. He is on the very top of the totem of my favorite directors of all time. Yeah, yeah, man. I, you could argue like um, he started off the gore thing with Blood Feast, you know, obviously. Um, but there's also, you know, there's exploitation as well. Uh, just the whole DIY, do-it-yourself spirit of filmmaking. Yeah, it's um, so punk rock. Yeah, it's punk rock. Yeah, that's good way to put it, absolutely. Like, um, he definitely, uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, gave birth to the spirit of DIY filmmaking, but it's one of the biggest exponents in history. It certainly allowed slasher films and such things, horror that we know today. Uh, this, this guy's a big part of it and making it happen. Absolutely. And I mean, and teaching people like just gorilla things like he didn't yeah. ask for permission. He didn't get permits to film. He just went mm -hmm. and thugged it out. And he had reasoning behind it, too. He flat out said he said, well, 50 percent of the time, if you go and ask for permission to film somewhere, 50 percent of the time you're going to get told no. The other 50 percent of the time, they're not going to be happy about it. And they're also going to wonder how they get paid. So you just go and do it. You just go and fucking film. And if you don't ask, only 50% of the time will you get caught. If that. So, yeah, I have a great deal of respect for uh, Mr. Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, I uh, what was I going to tell you about this. Uh, are, are you hip to the fact that this was written by another guy, some an Irish guy named James Hurley? Yeah, it came out later um, with a different director as the psychic, which was well, also he did it. On the, That's the thing yeah. is he. Did, you remember? You remember when The Shining came out, and it's brilliant, but it's absolutely nowhere near the book. And Stephen King was heated about it with Stanley Kubrick, so he mm. went. He went and made his own show. He made a television series, miniseries of The Shining, because he was so pissed off about what Kubrick did with his movie. That's what happened here. And the show, The Shining, was fine, but this movie, The Psychic, I went and looked up some clips of it. It's really fucking bad. It's Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, far, by far and away, it is a worse film in every aspect you can think of. 
uh, to this movie. It's bad. And it, the book was originally called The Eerie World of Dr. Jordan or okay. screenplay yeah. or whatever. Yeah, okay. okay. There's some story underneath all this, but mainly, you know, the only product that I could see endorsed in this entire film was LSD. And that is like the product placement yeah. propaganda of this episode is LSD. Yeah, sure. I co-sign that. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, man. You guys want to try to give this somewhat of a rating here? Well, we got gimmicks. We got gimmicks. Oh, I, I forgot. We got the jo jobber royale. So I set that up as well. Um, the karate teacher, like not Alex, but like the karate teacher yeah. that yeah. like yeah. obviously yeah. is like, okay, you can film in my dojo, but I get a full three minutes of me doing different stances. I don't even uh, think either one of these motherfuckers were black belts in any type of martial yeah. arts or even oh, yoga. So that guy versus mm -hmm. the bed sheets. <laughs> Fuck, that's good. Fuck, that's good. <laughs> Nailed. Nailed, sir. That's it. Oh, my God. What did you say, uh, you say Baron? Did you set it off? I said, fuck, that's good. I said, that's nailed. That's a perfect oh, okay. uh, uh, battle. Uh, matching. Booking. Booking is the term for this. And it's literally yeah. like these blue bed sheets fucking like, and you know they're the fitted ones, so it's got like that ripness to it. Like you're going to fucking yeah. hold those things over. It's These are the most ripped bed sheets you have ever seen. They got fucking shoulders like Atlas and shit. And he's just yeah. standing off all fucking Zandoff, Zandoff style like, Ready, fight! Yeah, there's some diesel ass blankets, man. That's yeah, heavy business blankets, man. I I'll tell you right now, I'm going, I'm going sheets. Karate's a silly, ridiculous thing. There's no way. Well, that's the thing is, this isn't karate, man. I think this is karate that they were trying to do in the 1960s for this fucking film shoot because both of those motherfuckers are obviously <laughs> actors, which is worse. That's that's worse. So. No, I'm going Sheets. Sheets win against fucking Dane Cook all day. All right. What do you got? Yeah. What do you got there, boss? Mr. Baron, uh, did, you, did you go Sheets too or not? The Baron is agreeing with the commander. I mean, you have karate. I mean, 1960s, it is ooh, karate. You know, yeah. it is at that level. Uh, the Sheets, that's like Hoisin Gracie Jiu-Jitsu master. This, these Sheets probably taught, taught the Gracies Jiu-Jitsu. This can weave anywhere up through any orifice, orifice, up the ass, out the nose, while he's sitting there trying to get hit points. Yeah? <laughs> no, it's a wrap. It is a mummy wrap. The Sheets you all day. It's a mummy wrap all day. And you see how it moves? It's it's like liquid swords, man. This motherfucker is ah, a master, a master <laughs> of the Wu-Tang style. Clearly. <laughs> all right man well i'm glad to hear it i feel like the the sheets from something weird are going to go far in the the full jobber royale yeah. that we have at the end man agreed okay so we've got jenny from man bites dog and the sheets <laughs> from something weird yeah and and uh who was it from blood feast oh. we had um frank the cop but i think the sheets frank the, frank the cop so for this episode it's just the sheets from something weird um i co-sign okay. that all day yeah, uh, that's good. I like that. Let's do a rating, man. Let's rate these things. For me personally, Blood Feast. I'm just gonna rate out the door. This is this is HIV. I could live with it. I'm not gonna like completely go to go insane. But every single person that I come into contact that has gives me any love whatsoever, I only need like maybe 15 
15 sentences out of a motherfucker and I'll be like, have you ever seen Blood Feast by Herschel Gordon Lewis, 1963? <laughs> it's a great film. And I feel like it's a really important film to the entire American cinematic experience. So HIV gets a, gets a nine out of 10 for me, man. Nice. That's exactly where I would put HIV. Nine. Very good. I'm dying to, I'll, I'll set it off, but I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know what the Baron MD has to say about this. But the commander, the commander is going to agree 150% and, and, and it, it, with, uh, with the Reverend, but I think it's it, a large part of that has to do sheerly with influence. And I'm going to alienate some of our, our listeners immediately right now on episode two. I'm not a fan of the Beatles. All right. I don't want to fucking hear it, but I'm not. But what I'm going to tell you is I understand and respect the influence that they have. So even if you are not having it from bad acting and weird cuts and dodgy everything going on in the movie, you have to respect the influence that this movie specifically, Blood Feast specifically, and Something Weird, and this director, and his producer, David Friedman, had on the fucking movies and directors that you pay attention to. Nine out of yeah. ten. Eight. Or not eight. The hip. The hip. The hip. The hip. The hip. Um, I've listened to, to the commander and to the reverend, and I have taken it all on board. Not the type of film I am used to seeing. I recognize its influence. I looked up its influence, HGL. This guy made waves. This guy is responsible for the films that I like today as well. So that has to be recognized. It is a gore film. He is the godfather of gore. What is the disease uh, where you cannot stop bleeding once cut, once blood is shed? Hemophilia. Yeah, it's hemophilia for me. Yeah. Um, um, let's just say, I'm, uh, you know, I accidentally walk into a wall, bang my nose. Yeah, something like that. I bang my nose and it just starts bleeding. It's coming out, come out of nowhere and asked for it, had no idea what it was about to begin with, but it just keeps coming, come, come, it's all over, sure, sure. And the people walking past look and go, what the fuck, what happened there? Uh, you get it all cleaned up and it's done. But people, you can't stop thinking about it, can you? People who walk past can't stop thinking about it. That much blood, that much gorgeous display, proudly. Hemophilia, which I'm going to rate, we can change it, of course, to seven out of 10 for me. I love it. And from a guy who's not, into this world very far that's a that's i think that's very high praise yeah no i'll take it man for sure so let's move on and uh rate something weird you want to you want to take this one off first ryan yeah i'll rate i'll rate something weird um so oh also we didn't do a bit of violence for that either did we there's not much violence in that well i had one though i'm going with the oh, torch okay. oh yeah uh, I think that's probably the best violence in the whole thing. I'll I mean, it was, either, it was either that or the strangulation at the very, very beginning. But yeah, I go with the torch murder just because it's actually really fucking brutal if you mm. get your mind thinking on it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, the one that I went for, it's a silly one, and it's where it is violent, the consequence of it, uh, where he picks up the electrical wire and just drops it on his face. That is a <laughs> violent moment. And it was just like, what is happening? And also, the guy who initially fell off the roof, they're just like, oh, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, we're going to coron up there. And they basically stand in front of him, leaving him on the wall. That whole bit and the fact that that sparked it off, that is my bit of violence. The drop in the electrical wire straight on the face. Instant toothpaste. Yeah. I like it. I love it, as a matter of fact. What you got, Reverend? 
best bit of violence for something weird. I'm going to say the piece of wood that breaks Jordan's hand when he tries to fucking karate chop it. Like, uh, well yeah. done, sir. Well done. That's great. What did you Keep learn? Dum dum. Don't punch <laughs> things like wood. <laughs> like it. All right. Uh, okay. I'll, yeah. Like I said, I'll set it off. Um, something weird is, is is it's odd for me because I recognize how important this is, but it's not rewatchable the way something like Blood Feast is. I'll watch Blood Feast again yeah. tomorrow. But something weird is just kind of slapdash to me i the acid the the acid and some little small humorous points that are not supposed to be humorous are the high points for me and then the influence and the namesake i still think is super cool that they named their company after this but it doesn't make the movie any better it just adds a little flavor to it so um i am going to go with uh I'm going to go with, uh, like, it's like a minor skin lesion. Something that's going to be uncomfortable for months. You're not going to be able to just ignore it. But you can kind of get on with your day. But you're going to have to go in for some extensive, relatively painful, corrective uh, procedures at the doctor. Okay? Like, Amazonian lesions, right? Not just bullshit, whatever. Uh, I, I gave it a seven. That's nice. Uh, myself, if I may. Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot with what the commander has said. A lot of it was slapdash for me, uh, more so than Blood Feast as well. Uh, this is in just terms of pure continuity. Um, so that was that was difficult. But as I pointed out before, some of the effects, like the ghost in the church for its time, excellent. Um, the sitting in the chair to show that he's going through a psychic, you know, um, moment, etc. Um, that was done really well. Very simple, but very effective. It said everything that it needed to say. So some of HGL's Lewis, uh, Lewis's renegade guerrilla filmmaking genius definitely came into this film as well. So it's not to be disregarded. A lot like uh, Itchy Balls, yeah? I'm not talking, you know, any crabs or chlamydia. It's going to stay with you for a while and you're going to pay attention to it. The nutsack. So I'm going to give it a, are we allowed half points, gentlemen? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll give it a six and a half. All right. Yeah. Six, six and, and a half. half. I mean, I picked this film and I'm honestly probably going to go with a five on this. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm just like halfway there. Yeah. Itchy ball sack. It's even because I want to share this with people. I want I want other people to know about this and they're only going to experience it the one time if they do. So it's just going to be annoying. So I'm going to go with like almost a, an easy cold sore, like just shareable with a friend, you know, just like a basic. <laughs> I know that I've been having this. It feels like a zit on my lip and, I, you know, I've had it for a while. You guys sure you don't want to take some of this acid-laced whiskey with me? I'm going to go with a five on this. Even though I picked it out and I really, really love it, it's it's John Waters at Desperate Living. It's just <laughs> there. There's just, it's just the film that he made. But I feel like I really needed to share this bottle of whiskey with you guys. And I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, and hopefully excellent. you'll think about it every now and then, but not have too many horrible un- underlying uh, repercussions now that I've shared it. <laughs> yeah. And Just actually, mild discomfort. 
mild discomfort. I have to say, I have to say a six. Sorry, just a audible there. I'm going to put it as a six. I'm dropping it down yeah. just a little, but it was a damn good swig of whiskey though. Yeah, damn good swig of whiskey. It there is, and it's important because somehow this weird movie about the cult and LSD and the FBI had more relevance in 1967 than most political movies. I don't know. It's America. And that's the carnival that is America. And that's what yeah. makes Herschel Gordon yeah. Lewis the godfather of gore. If it weren't for the character that should have been actually listed in the credits, uh, LSD showing up in this movie, I would have given it a four or maybe a three and a half. But because yeah. LSD showed up and saved the day like goddamn De Niro, it's it's I'm go, I honestly I should probably go six five. I'll I'm gonna go down too. What do you think about that? Six five. <laughs> <Let me> know. <laughs> I like how I convinced you both to rate this film lower than you initially oh. wanted to. And it's your fucking movie. That's the best part. It's wonderful. You know, it's just my personality. Oh man, Reverend Baron, do you have anything more for this guy? Reverend. I think we're done, man. We've talked about these films. They're, they're worth checking out. You know, enjoy them. We've done all our gimmicks for both films. Yeah, that's a mummy wrap. Sweet. Yeah. Gentlemen, uh, I can't wait to do this next week. And everybody else, stay tuned. We got uh we we're going we're going back to uh we're going back to Europe next week, I think. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yes, we are. Yes, it's, it's it's the commander's week so yeah we will week. be back thank you for joining us and have a great night <laughs>